0: to Half-Wit History. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kylie. And this is a show where we talk about the upcoming week, but a long time ago. And
1: sometimes not so long ago.
0: How not so long ago or long ago are we this week, Kylie?
1: Well, this week we're going to talk a little bit about one of my favorite topics.
0: Ooh, what pirates! is it? Oh, pirates! Yeah. Gotta go, gotta go!
1: Um, we've been watching One Piece, so I kind of brought this upon myself. But when I did these notes back in like December or whenever it was we had not been watching one piece because we the dub had not caught up yet so
0: to be anyway. king of the pirates <laughs> he's made of rubber <laughs>
1: what was was the next part something something took a bite of gum gum
0: yo ho ho we took a bite of gum yeah, gum yeah yeah
1: that okay anyway so we are not talking about Monkey D. Luffy. Are you sure? I am sure. I think
0: our, our four kids, early 2000s only dub fans are very disappointed right now.
1: Arguably, yes. I'm not saying One Piece couldn't ever be a topic. It's just not the topic today.
0: Oh, it is old enough to be a topic. It
1: is. It is. And I actually think it's in our calendar of like um, potential potential event of potential no. things. I think it just keeps happening to fall on a week that I'm not covering.
0: Right. It's just been on the off weeks. On the
1: off weeks. Yeah. So we are going to talk about Captain William Kidd. Um, So on July 6th, 1699, he was captured in Boston, Massachusetts. So before we get to his capture, though, we need to understand a little bit why he might have been worth capturing in the first place. So we're going to do a little biography of William Kidd. He was born sometime prior to October 15th of 1654, most likely in Dundee, Scotland. Uh, some claims have been made of alternate birthplaces, including Glenock and even Belfast, but he himself said that he came from Dundee in a testimony given by him to the High Court Admiralty in 1695. So people are pretty confident that he probably came from Dundee. Um, there have also been records of his baptism taking place in Dundee, so, you know, physical proof. Um, however, There are some myths that his father was actually a minister, like based in Dundee, and those have pretty much been disproven, um, mostly because records of the Church of Scotland at the time are pretty comprehensive. So if his father had been a minister, it would have been recorded somewhere. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So as a young man, kid set off for the city of New York in the New World. The English had gained control of the city from the Dutch in 1664 and had renamed it New York after King Charles II of England granted the lands to his brother, the Duke of York. So, New York, Duke of York. Mm So, by 1689, Kidd was a member of a French-English pirate crew sailing the Caribbean under Captain Jean Fontaine. Jean Fontaine? Jean Fontaine? I don't know why it's so much fun to say, but it is. It rhymes. It does. So, of course, no pirate story would be complete without a mutiny, and guess who helped start it? Who? Our hero, William Kidd. Not hero, but you know what I mean. Protagonist, maybe. Protagonist,
0: Uh, yes. That does not imply good or bad. (laughs) It just is the person our story is following. Yes,
1: our protag. So the mutiny happened when the ship was sailing to the British colony of Nevis. There, they renamed the ship the Blessed William, and Kid became the captain either as a result of an election by the ship's crew or by appointment of Christopher Codrington, who was governor of the island of Nevis, which is really wild to me because the governor might have appointed a pirate captain.
0: I mean, if we're talking about One Piece at all, that, oh. that is a huge part of the, that whole story, is that the Marines do have some of the most powerful captains of the pirate
1: fleet. Under their thumb, it, yeah. Under their thumb, yeah. yeah. Um, although on ta- their payroll, on at their least. On their payroll, yeah. Although I guess technically at this time they would be considered privateers,
0: and we'll right. get to that in a minute. Yep.
1: Um, So, the Blessed William and her crew became part of Codrington's small fleet assembled to defend Nevis from the French, which part of the reason I the mutiny likely happened is because Jean Fontine was French. So it's very possible that they decided they were gonna eliminate the French faction of this French English crew. Makes sense. Um so they appointed an Englishman as the captain, yada yada yada. So The French and English are at war at this point. And as frequently happens with privateers, the governor didn't promise to pay the crew in return for their services, but allowed them to take their pay from the French that they attacked. Mm. So Kidd and his men attacked the French island of Marie Gallant, destroying its only town and looting the area. And they gathered around 2,000 pounds sterling, which would be about $590,000 today. So pretty good haul. So during the Nine Years' War, also known as the War of the Grand Grand Alliance, Grand Alliance, Grand Line, uh-huh. Uh, Kid continued his privateer work with commissions from the provinces of New York and Massachusetts Bay. And for anyone wondering, the Nine Years' War was basically most of Europe against France, with the fighting extending into the colonies in North America and India. And it's sometimes actually considered the first global war because it did spread beyond just Europe itself.
0: Interesting. I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever heard of this one.
1: Yeah, it's um a. You know it was nine years it was kind of obscured. It's not covered in a ton of ton of stuff for once, it wasn't against Germany, so I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> Only
0: Germans can initiate world wars,
1: apparently. Apparently. <laughs> so during this war, Kidd captured an enemy privateer off the New England coast and was rewarded with 150 pounds for successful privateering in the Caribbean. But it didn't all go Captain Kidd's way. And a year later, another pirate named Captain Robert Culliford stole Kidd's ship while he was ashore in Antigua in the West Indies. Just straight up stole a ship.
0: While he wasn't
1: on it. Yeah, that kind of sucks. So Kidd eventually either got his ship back or managed to get his hands on a new one and was back to his typical privateering ways. On December 11th of 1695, Richard Coote, the first Earl of Belmont, who was then governor of New York, Massachusetts and New Hampshire, asked the, quote, trusty and well-beloved Captain Kidd to attack Thomas II, John Ireland, Thomas Wake and William Mays, as well as any others who were associated themselves with pirates. As well as any French ships that they happen to find along the way.
0: I didn't realize that Billy Mays was a pirate.
1: <laughs> Mays, M-A-Z-E. <laughs> uh-huh. And and was
0: what was the other guy? There was a something two.
1: Thomas two.
0: And there was another Thomas in that list.
1: Thomas Wake.
0: Is Thomas Wake Thomas one? Ha, ha, <laughs> ha. ha.
1: Oh, gosh. Anyway.
0: <laughs> We're in a mood today. It's very yeah. rainy outside. And uh, yeah. uh, this is our entertainment.
1: For like literally the entire day. yeah. Uh, So beyond that, however, this request had the weight of the crown behind it, meaning Kid and his crew would have been considered disloyal and would have carried a social stigma if they had refused. So Mm. kind of they didn't really have a choice in the matter. Um, And as luck would have it, this voyage would be the one that would cement Kid's reputation in the annals of history. So Kidd, Richard Coote, and Robert Livingston the Younger put their heads together and came up with a scheme to gather financial backers for Kidd's voyage to hunt down pirates, recover their booty, and then redistribute it amongst the investors. Four-fifths of the cost of the 1696 venture was paid by noble lords, who were among the most powerful men in England, and they included the Earl of Orford, the Baron of Romney, the Duke of Shrewsbury, and Sir John Summers. I love how it's Earl, Baron, Duke,
0: Sir. Sir. <laughs> it- it just went down yeah. every time.
1: No, Duke is higher. Oh,
0: Duke is so higher. So Duke,
1: then Earl, then Baron, then Sir. Okay. If we're going, like, categorically.
0: There's just somebody <laughs> from every noble class.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, so to make this agreement official, Kidd was presented with a letter of mark signed personally by King William III of England, which authorized him as a privateer. This letter reserved 10% of the loot for the crown, And Henry Gilbert's The Book of Pirates suggests that the king even fronted some of the money for the voyage himself. Ooh. Um, So the remaining 90% could then be distributed amongst Kidd, his crew, and the backers. Despite the financial assistance, Kidd still did have to sell his ship, the Antigua, to raise funds, though. Oh. Yeah. But don't worry. All of this influx of money allowed Kidd and his crew to purchase a new ship for 8,000 pounds— also, uh, which would be 968,571 pounds today, or for us Americans, $1.2 million. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, they called her the Adventure Galley. Her design combined sails and oars, which was an unusual combination for warships at the time, and it incorporated a three ship-rigged masts and two banks of oars. So, like, three masts.
0: That's so, kind like, of— A big one in the middle, yeah. two
1: smaller ones. Kind of think- the new version, not the Going Merry. What's the other one? Uh, sunny, the Thousand Sunny. Thousand Sunny. I think that one has three masts, but it also has two whole banks of oars.
0: See, I wasn't going to go to a One Piece reference in that point. I was just going to say that's interesting that it's uncommon to have an oared and sailed vessel because many years before that, that was a very common style. Yes. for good reason because you can move when there's no wind, and you're a battleship, and you're trying to remain mobile. So
1: I'm about to get to that. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I mean, like, if you think about, like, Viking ships a lot of the time, oh, yeah. they Oared had and masts and oars. I can see how the downside to this could happen, though, because, I mean, like, you have to have enough men to man all of the oars and still ship sail the ship, so, like, you would have to have a pretty substantial crew, otherwise... Mm-hmm. The oars are useless. They weigh more. They add more bulk to the ship. I mean, so it's like, a warship.
0: You're going to yeah. have people.
1: Oh, yeah. Well,
0: hmm. we'll Uh-oh. get to it.
1: So this three-mast system and the oars allowed her to make 14 knots or 16 miles per hour under full sail and three knots or three and a half miles per hour under oar.
0: You're Pretty moving. Quick. That's, you're, that's you're all moving. that matters that's in part. a ship yeah. battle.
1: Um, so although rowing was slower, it enabled the ship to maneuver against the wind or in calm conditions when other vessels that relied on sails alone wouldn't be able to make any progress. The Adventure Galley was well-suited to the task of catching pirates, weighing over 284 tons burden, and tons burden is the estimated weight of the ship at full cargo capacity. Mm -hmm. So that's, like, its max weight. Um, And it was equipped with 34 cannons, oars, and 150 men, usually. I say usually because it becomes... Relevant. <laughs> okay. So, Kid took pride in personally selecting the crew, choosing only those whom he had deemed to be the best and most loyal officers. It's not clear whether the Adventure Galley was, in fact, a new vessel or had originally been intended for the Navy. She might have been a commercial vessel that was being refitted before she was acquired by Kid's consortium. hmm um, she doesn't appear to have been particularly well-built, however. Oh, no. Uh, just judging from the problems that arise as we go forward. So she wasn't the most seaworthy um, during her short career in his service, unfortunately. Um, but it's not uncommon for shipyards to cut corners and use substandard materials and then pocket the difference in costs as extra profit, which I'm sure shocks no one. Exactly. <laughs> so Kinn and his crew uh, and his new ship set sail from Deptford, on April 6, 1696. However, it wasn't the glorious beginning I imagine Kid had expected for himself. No. As they sailed down the Thames, Kid apparently quote failed to salute a navy yacht in Greenwich as custom dictated. The navy yacht then fired a shot to make him show respect, and Kid's crew responded with an astounding display of impudence by turning and slapping their backsides.
0: <laughs>
1: so, yeah, that's some off.
0: good old pirate stuff.
1: Yeah, this predictably didn't make the Navy captain very happy, and he retaliated by pressing much of Kid's crew into naval service, despite uh. the captain's strong protests and the general exclusion of privateer crew from such action. Uh. So they got press ganged. Oops. Despite the fact that privateers, especially privateers with a you know letter of mark from the king, should not be able to be press ganged, they were...
0: Wow. So,
1: yeah, not an auspicious start. Didn't even make it to the open ocean. No. And he already lost a fair amount of his crew. Oh, no. Um. So as a side note, impressment, frequently referred to as press ganging, was the act of taking men into military or naval um, by force or compulsion with or without any sort of notice. European navies of several nations used forced recruitment by, by various means. However, the large size of the British Royal Navy in this age meant that impressment was almost... Always associated with Great Britain and Ireland, okay, um, and specifically the Navy itself. Uh, so, the Royal Navy impressed many merchant sailors as well as some sailors from other, mostly European nations. So, like, if they, you know, found a ship and decided they were in need of crew, didn't matter if it was English or not. If they could subdue it, they would basically
0: welcome take to the Navy. Crew.
1: yeah, you're in the English Navy now. I don't speak English. Too bad. You'll learn. Pretty much, um, unfortunately.
0: We have janitorial (laughs) duties. You can do those.
1: You can swab the deck, my sir. Uh
0: You Uh can move some cannonballs around.
1: (laughs) So people liable to impressment were, quote, eligible men of seafaring habits between the ages of 18 and 55 years, which 55 years at this point in time, too, isn't, is, like, older than we think of now. Yeah. Like, the idea of being 55 is, like, what we would equate with, like, Sixty-five, seventy. now
0: although i would imagine that people who are being uh emergency drafted because they're on boats or vessels of some kind they're probably in pretty good shape for 55 year old oh yes absolutely
1: yeah, yeah. Um, Impressment was repeatedly upheld in courts as it was deemed a vital uh, to the strength of the Navy and then by extension to the survival of the British influence and realm, despite how unpopular it was with citizens. Mm -hmm. The practice caused particular tension with the American colonies, surprise, and was directly addressed in one of the 27 colonial grievances enumerated in the Declaration of Independence. So that was one of the complaints that was part of the reason the colonies broke away. Yep. was press Gangman among, you know, 26 others, but still. Um. So now, shorthanded, Kid set sail for New York City, capturing a French vessel en route, which was legal under the terms of his commission because it was French. And to make up for the lack of officers, Kidd picked up some replacement crew in New York, the vast majority of whom were known and hardened criminals, and some were likely former pirates. They were not the trustworthy and loyal crew that he had anticipated right. when he started out. So interestingly, Kid's quartermaster named Hendrik Vanderhoel is believed to have been African or of African descent, with a contemporary source, so like contemporary meaning of the time, described him as a small black man. If Vanderhoel was of African ancestry, he would be considered the highest ranking black pirate or privateer so far ever identified. Oh
0: so that's actually pretty cool. Yeah.
1: Um, and I would love to know more about him, but there's not a whole lot known yeah. about him yeah if they um, don't
0: if they don't even know from the one record they really have if he was in fact yeah of you know that that ancestry ethnicity
1: yeah yeah it's highly probable um uh, but not known for certain
0: mm-hmm. um
1: but it's still a really cool thing so, Kidd and his newly acquired crew weighed anchor in September of 1696 and set a course for the Cape of Good Hope in Southern Africa. Unfortunately, Kidd's bad luck wasn't running out anytime soon, and approximately a third of his crew died on the voyage from an outbreak of cholera. Oh, no! His brand new ship, or new to him, developed a bunch of leaks, and he failed to find the pirates whom he had expected to encounter off the coast of Madagascar.
0: Oh, so, no, so he didn't even have anything to bring back.
1: Yup. So he's not off to a great start <laughs> with his ambitious enterprising quickly failing, a lot of important people having given him a lot of money and expecting returns on their investment, Kidd became desperate to cover his costs. However, he hasn't yet he wasn't yet desperate enough to go outside the bounds of his commission, despite pressure from his crew. Kidd let several ships escape them, including a Dutch vessel and a New York privateer. The latter would have been considered out of bounds because New York was part of the territories of the crown. So he would have been attacking himself. And Kidd was partially funded by the New York governor. So Mm -hmm. that would have been an extra no-no. They also were not at war with the Dutch. So that would have been a big no-no as well. Some of the crew deserted Kidd the next time that adventure galley anchored offshore. Those who decided to stay uh, made constant open threats of mutiny. In one particular incident, Kidd inadvertently killed one of his crew members. What? Yeah. So his gunner, William Moore, was on deck sharpening a chisel when a Dutch ship appeared off the bow. Moore urged Kidd to attack the Dutchman, an act which would have been considered a pirate act rather right. than a privateer act because English England wasn't at war with the Dutch, but also certain to anger the Dutch-born King William because King William was Dutch. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would have been a double whammy. Kid obviously refused, call, but he called Moore a lousy dog, which probably wasn't very nice. Moore retorted, "Quote, if I am a lousy dog, you have made me so. You have brought me to ruin and many more." So woof. clearly not happy. Ha ha! <laughs> lousy dog, you're the worst. So Kid reportedly dropped an iron bucket on Moore, which fractured his skull. Oh, so. Not necessarily intentional, but also not not intentional. You he was know? intending
0: to hurt, hurt him. him. He him. wasn't intending to do anything more Pro- than a, yeah. a bump.
1: Yeah. Probably yeah. didn't didn't expect Moore's skull to be so fragile. Oopsie. Why he did yeah. not have your hard head.
0: Yeah. If you're gonna be a pirate, have a hard head like me. You literally
1: bend metal faucets. Yeah. Horrifying. Anyway. <laughs> so Moore died the following day. While 17th century admiralty law was pretty lenient with how captains could punish their crew, outright killing wasn't permitted.
0: Are you sure? Yeah.
1: So, this incident would have put Kid in some pretty hot water unless his financial backers were powerful enough to get him out of it.
0: Well, he had some powerful financial backers. He
1: did have very powerful financial backers. Did it
0: work for him, though?
1: We're going to get there. Okay. So despite these efforts, Kidd was declared a pirate very early on in his voyage by a Royal Naval officer to whom he had apparently promised 30 men or so, um, but he had sailed away during the night to preserve his crew rather than subjecting them to Royal Navy impressment beyond what he had already lost. Um, so part of being a privateer with a letter of mark is supposed to protect the crew from being impressed, so he shouldn't have been under any obligation anyway to give away his crew. <laughs> but it would seem that this particular Royal officer did, didn't agree or didn't care.
0: It sounds like the Navy didn't really take kindly to, if not privateers in general, Kid. It seemed yeah. like they didn't like him.
1: Yeah. And I mean, he probably had some of that, like, very arrogant air to him. Like, he was a pirate, essentially. So it makes sense that he would probably be pretty, pretty cocky. Mm-hmm. But it almost seems like the. British Royal Navy just really didn't like him anyway. Right.
0: I mean, I, they were—they obviously had other people who were being privateers for them. Right. I wonder if all of them were being subjected to the same every time they pull into port, just another naval <clears> vessel being like, hey, I need 30 of your men. I know you can only hold 150. And someone already took 75 of those. Yeah. So yeah. I need another 30. Thanks. Yeah.
1: So this Royal Naval officer who was going to impress part of his crew, and then he ran away from essentially so that he didn't have to impress his crew, decided, well, you ran away from my impressment, so now you're a pirate. Pirate. On January 30th, 1698, Kidd thought that his luck had finally changed when they spotted the 400-ton Keda Merchant, an Indian ship that was hired by Armenian merchants. Kidd raised the French colors and took the ship. It was loaded with satins, muslins, gold, silver, and an incredible variety of East Indian merchandise, as well as extremely valuable silks. Unfortunately for Kidd, the captain of this vessel was actually an Englishman named Wright, who had purchased passes from the French East India Company, promising him the protection of the French crown. So when news of his capture of this ship reached England, he was publicly condemned as a pirate. Uh, various naval commanders were ordered to pursue and seize Kidd and his accomplices for the, quote, notorious pirates, piracies that they had committed. Kid kept the sea passes and the vessel for himself. Kid might have hoped that the passes would provide the legal fig leaf that would allow him to keep the Kata merchant and her cargo. Uh, he renamed the seized merchantman as the Adventure Prize and then set sail for Madagascar. On April 1st of 1698, Kid reached Madagascar and after meeting privately with a trader named Tempest Rogers, which what a name! Tempest I mean, Rogers. Tempest is just
0: a good first name.
1: It is an awesome name. And Tempest Rogers would later be accused of trading and selling Kidd looted East India goods, which probably is true, Uh arguably. Uh, Kidd found the first pirate of his voyage, Robert Culliford. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because it's the same guy who had stole his ship, the Antigua, years before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And his crew aboard the Mocha frigate. So now there are two contradictory accounts of what happens next. Oh, I'm ready. According to A General History of the Pirates, published more than 25 years after the event by an author whose identity is highly disputed by historians, Kidd made peaceful overtures to Culliford, drinking to the captain's health, swearing that he was their, quote, brother, and giving Culliford a present of an anchor and some guns. This account appears to be based on the testimony of Kidd's crewmen, Joseph Palmer and Robert Bradingham at Kidd's trial later. Mm-hmm. The other version of this event was presented by Richard Zacks in his 2002 book, The Pirate Hunter, The True Story of Captain Kidd. According to Zacks, Kidd was unaware that Culliford had only about 20 crew with him and felt ill-mannered and ill-equipped to capture the Mocha frigate. According to Zacks, Kidd was unaware that Culliford had only about 20 crew with him and it felt ill-mannered and ill-equipped to capture the Mocha frigate until his two other ships and crews arrived. So he decided to leave Culliford alone until the reinforcement showed up. And after the Adventure Prize and the Rue Paré, which apparently was another ship that he had captured, uh, reached the port, Kidd ordered his crew to attack Culliford's Mocha frigate. However, his crew refused to attack Culliford and threatened instead to shoot (laughs) Kidd. Yep. Zax does not refer to any type of or source for his, of his version of events, which I find extremely suspicious. Uh-huh. Just like in any other science type of thing, if you want to make new claims, you need to find a way to cite your sources and back it up with legitimate evidence. So I'm more likely to follow along with the general history of pirates account, even though the author is disputed, probably just because we don't know who it was, um, oh. than this unsubstantiated no evidence version
0: also any like book or movie you see that's like based on a true story just know that they didn't do research like <laughs> <laughs> I, I think anybody who claims that their stuff was based on a true story knows the absolute baseline of those historical events and then takes strong artistic liberties afterwards
1: well that's not always true because there's plenty of like I mean, that might be true for, like, media, but, like, there's plenty of historians who have written, you know, well-researched, well-evidence-based accounts of people or events or whatever and called them, like, the true story of whatever. But they have an extensive, like, bibliography and annotation and evidence to support this Mm -hmm. claims. This dude did not. So, <laughs> always look at the footnotes, friends. Yes. If you happen to pick up a book that says it's a true story about something, look and see what kind of sources they have anyway. So, either way, both accounts agree that most of Kid's men abandoned him for Cullingford, with only 13 crewmates staying behind with Kid. Mind you, his ship typically has a crew of 150. Mm-hmm. He now has 14, including himself. Just enough. Yeah, maybe. So deciding to return home, Kid left the adventure galley behind and ordered it to be burnt because she had become worm-eaten and leaky. So it hadn't been that long since he no. got the ship. Um, before burning the ship, he salvaged every last scrap of metal that he could find. Smart. With the loyal remnant of his crew, he returned to the Caribbean aboard the Adventure Prize, stopping first at St. Augustine's Bay for repairs. After repairs were made, they sailed until Antigua, which is where Kid made an unpleasant discovery. The 1698 Act of Grace offered royal pardons to pirates in the Indian Ocean, except that it specifically mentioned Kidd as exempt from being eligible to receive this pardon.
0: Oh no! Everybody
1: but Kidd could yep. be basically pardoned for being a pirate, except Kidd. <laughs> like Jeez. you does not apply.
0: Yep. So now what a Kidd, reputation this guy's got! I know,
1: got. and really, arguably. He really didn't do much yeah. in terms of, like, actual piracy. He really didn't do that much. He just pissed off the wrong people, You moon
0: the Navy once and <laughs> it's all over.
1: You would be so screwed, sweetie. I know. <laughs> so now kid's aware that he's wanted for piracy and that there were several English men of war searching for him. Realizing that the Adventure Prize was a marked vessel, he got rid of it in the Caribbean Sea, sold off his remaining plundering goods through pirate and fence William Burke, and continued towards New York aboard a sloop. Uh, He deposited some of his treasure on Gardner's Island, hoping to use his knowledge of its location as a bargaining tool of sorts. He then decided to land in Oyster Bay to avoid a mutinous crew that had gathered in New York City, he sailed 120 nautical miles, or 140 regular miles, around the eastern tip of Long Island and then doubled back 90 nautical miles along the Sound to Oyster Bay, feeling that it was safer passage than the highly trafficked narrows between Staten Island and Brooklyn. I'm just envisioning those posters from One Piece's with the faces on them and the wanted bounty, blah, 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 blah,
0: blah. <laughs> Yep.
1: Yep. So meanwhile, New York Governor Belmont, one of Kidd's original investors, Was in Boston, Massachusetts. Knowing Kidd was wanted for piracy and not wanting to be implemented as an accomplice, he decides that capturing Kidd and presenting him to England in chains was his best chance for survival. Yeah. He lured Kidd into Boston with false promises of clemency and then had him arrested on July 6, 1699. So Kidd was placed in Stone Prison, which... I don't know where that is, but apparently it's somewhere in Boston Harbor, hmm. spending most of the time in solitary confinement. So the conditions of Kid's imprisonment were pretty harsh and were said to have driven him at least temporarily insane. I mean,
0: that's why people are fighting to not do solitary confinement anymore. Uh
1: uh Additionally, it seems that Belmont had completely turned against pirates in general, writing that the inhabitants of Long Island were, quote, a lawless and unruly people protecting pirates who had settled among them. So he had basically written Long Island off as like a bunch of pirate sympathizers Ah. and poo poo on them. However, it took over a year for Kidd to be sent to England for questioning by the parliament. The civil government had changed, and the new Tory ministry hoped that using Kidd would help discredit the Whigs who had backed him originally. But Kidd refused to name names, naively confident that his patrons would reward his loyalty by interceding on his behalf. No. I say naively because that was absolutely never going to happen.
0: I wouldn't say naively. I would say stupidly. You were a pirate. You were a pirate. No, technically,
1: he was a privateer. He
0: was a pirate who became a privateer. Why would you trust the government? The whole whole business you have is anti-government.
1: Yeah. So it is quite possible that he actually could have been spared the resulting punishment if he had actually told them who backed him, but he didn't do that. So finding Kidd politically useless, the Tory leaders sent him to stand trial before the High Court of Admiralty in London for the charges of piracy on the high seas and the murder of William Moore. He came back around. So while awaiting trial, Kidd was confined in the infamous Newgate prison where he allegedly wrote several letters to King William requesting clemency. They were obviously never granted. Kidd was able to get two lawyers to assist with his defense, although he was seemingly surprised at the start of the trial to learn that he had been charged with William Moore's murder. So, unsurprisingly, Kidd was found guilty of all charges, murder, and five counts of piracy, and sentenced to death. He was hanged in a public execution on May 23, 1701 at Execution Dock, Wapping, in London. And to finish off his unlucky life, he had to be hanged twice.
0: Oh, no. Yeah. That's yeah. awful.
1: So on the first attempt the hangman's rope broke and kid was fine. So some well, people in, fine
0: is probably
1: Well, I mean like it snapped like pretty quickly so he never even got like the chance to like even okay. a little bit hang like okay. it was a f- bad rope and it just broke. So some of the crowd actually called for his release claiming that the breaking of the rope was actually a sign of god. However, kid was hanged minutes later and died. So his body was gibbeted over the River Thames. At Tilbury Point for three years as a warning to future would-be pirates. So gibbeted basically just means like put on display. Right. So like they put yeah, but, his...
0: Put you at the entrance of different ports. Yeah. So that anyone and, coming yeah. into port knows that this town isn't friendly towards piracy.
1: Yeah. Think of the beginning of Pirates of the Caribbean where Jack Sparrow sails in on his sinking ship and like salutes the three pirates yep. hanging over the entrance. So luckily for his crew they were pardoned but only just before they were supposed to be hanged kids wig backers were pretty embarrassed by the trial in general and instead of rewarding his loyalty they participated in the effort to convict him by depriving him of the money and information which might have actually helped provide him with some legal defense in particular the two sets of french passes he had kept were missing at his trial so the passes that were given to him Mm -hmm. to like help be him like be a privateer had gone missing. Yeah. The passes and others dated 1700 resurfaced in the early 20th century as misfiled with other government papers in a London building. Mm -hmm. Those passes would have confirmed kids version of events and called the extent of his guilt as a pirate into question. Of course, what kind of pirate story would this be without the legend of buried treasure?
0: Oh, I wasn't expecting that.
1: Yep. Sure enough, the belief that Kidd had left behind treasure somewhere contributed greatly to the growth of his popularity. The 1701 broadside song, Captain Kidd's Farewell to the Seas, or The Famous Pirate's Lament, lists 200 bars of gold and Rick's dollars manifold, we seized uncontrolled. Rick's dollar was the English term for silver coinage used throughout the European world. This inspired numerous treasure hunts conducted off of Oak Island in Nova Scotia, on Grand Manan and the Bay of Fundy, in Suffolk County, Long Island in New York, where Gardner's Island is located, Charles Island, the Thimble Islands, and the Coconut Islands in Connecticut. So that's a lot of places to look. Uh huh. It was also alleged that he had buried more treasure on the Rahway River in New Jersey across the Arthur Kill from Staten Island. In 1983, Cork Graham and Richard Knight searched for Captain Kidd's buried treasure off the Vietnamese island of Phu Quoc. Knight and Graham were caught, convicted of illegally landing on Vietnamese territory, and each assessed a fine of $10,000. Oops. So they were imprisoned for 11 months until they were able to pay up that fine. So don't go illegally landing in other countries searching for buried treasure unless you want to pay a hefty fine and potentially be imprisoned.
0: Buried treasure that I would argue probably didn't exist considering how much this guy seemed to have trust the Navy and uh, (laughs) how much much he was actually operating as a real privateer despite Mm -hmm. everybody else trying to just always pick on him. So yep. I wouldn't trust that there is buried treasure anywhere.
1: No, I wouldn't have either.
0: Kylie, let's set our sails okay, <laughs> right after the episode. Okay, okay. We'll, 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 we'll get it before anybody else. Yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, That sounds perfect. Um, So Kid had actually buried some treasure. Oh. But it was on Gardner's Island, like I had said before. You went without me. Wow. How dare you? They already had found it. Oh. Like when he was still on trial. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so Governor Belmont had already found it and sent it to England to be used as part of the evidence against him in his trial. Mm -mm. So the only actual known buried treasure was found before he was even dead. Okay. So, uh, besides treasure, people have long hunted for the wreckage of kids' ship. It was reported on December 13th, 2007, that, quote, wreckage of a pirate ship abandoned by Captain Kidd in the 17th century had been found by divers in shallow water off the Dominican Republic. The waters in which the ship was found were less than 10 feet deep and were only 70 feet or 21 meters off of Catalina Island, just to the south of La Ramona in the Dominican Republic.
0: So what you're telling me is people absolutely knew where the ship was the entire time. Just no one cared until they started saying, let's find this person's specific ship. And someone in the DR went, you mean that one that's pretty right much. there all the time?
1: Yeah, pretty much. So the ship is believed to be the remains of the Cata merchant. Charles Beaker, the director of academic diving and underwater science programs at Indiana University in Bloomington's School of Health, Physical Education and Recreation. Wow, that's a long title.
0: Very big title
1: was one of the experts leading the Indiana University diving team. He said that it was, quote, remarkable that the wreck had remained undiscovered all these years, given its location. And I would question that. Uh I think a lot of people probably knew it was there and just never cared. Captain Kidd's cannon, an artifact from the shipwreck, was added as a permanent exhibit at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis in 2011. And that is the story of the pirate Captain Kidd, his unlucky adventures, and capture.
0: Very cool.
1: Fun fun. It was nice to get back to my piratey roots. Yes. (laughs) We have
0: probably four or five episodes on pirates now.
1: And there will be more. Yeah. I can guarantee you that.
0: Before we get on to our fun facts, we have to do a call to action. So stick around. We got a few fun facts at the end of the call to action if you're new to the show. Okay. So our call to action is... You can find us on everywhere at Halfwit History. Um, you can go to our website, halfwitpodcast.com, and we can, you can see all the other stuff we're yeah, working on. Yeah,
1: find all of the places that we put stuff. Yeah,
0: and since uh, social media has been kind of tumultuous, <laughs> uh, you know, the, that, that'll that be a good spot for you to go to find out anything about the show. Anyways, thank you to the fishermen for the use of our theme song, Another Day. You can find a link to their show note down You can find a link to their (laughs) SoundCloud down down in in our our show notes. notes.
1: I distracted him by pointing up first. Yeah, and I'm like, why are are you pointing up? And then I realized what you said and went, "Uh uh you messed up.
0: (laughs) And I don't think there's anything else. So now it's time for fun Fun facts.
1: facts. Yay. My favorite part.
0: On July 6th of 1919, the Institute for Sexual Science opens in Berlin by f- physician Magnus Hirschfeld to establish the study of sexual science.
1: Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. Weirdly kind of surprised it was as early as 1919 and also kind of weirdly surprised that it was as opened late as in Berlin. 1919? Well, <laughs> Berlin. I don't know oh. why, but for some reason that also surprises me. Also, 1919 would have been like... Towards the end of the First World War, right?
0: I don't remember, to be completely honest. 1914 was the First World War, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it went on more than one year. Anyway, sorry, that was a weird... um, My brain just stopped functioning in terms of dates that I know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. My other two options are both food-related, and now I can't decide which food I want to talk about Oh, great. (laughs) Okay, we'll go with the first one. So, on July 3rd, 1806... Michael Keens exhibits the first large-scale cultivated strawberry, a large fruit strawberry called the Keene seedling. So one of the first, like, cultivated, able-to-be-reproduced like reproduced strawberries in existence. Neat!
0: My favorite. You're allergic to them.
1: It doesn't mean I don't still love them.
0: Uh, <laughs>
1: you can still love things that hurt you, even if it's um, not a smart choice. Wow. <laughs> I love love Bilbo and sometimes he scratches because he he has little talons and it's not his fault. Uh Anyway.
0: (laughs) Anyways, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. As always, I'm your Halfwit. And I'm your Historian. And we hope you listen next week.
1: Bye.